There's been some really standout moments in classes where women have asked to be taught defenses against certain attacks that you know they have a history with, they've experienced in real life. And to watch women work through something like that is really humbling and powerful. And you see women who, you know, maybe at first it's really a scary thing to practice and you see them work through it. And at the end, they feel, you can see they feel so much more confident, like they've conquered something. And I think those moments are really powerful. Hey, everybody. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Therapist Uncensored. This is a podcast that breaks down interpersonal science into practical and understandable tidbits. And as you listen, I can just imagine little light bulbs of insight appearing above your head. You're going to be surprised and touched at what you learn about yourself as you get more accurate and in-depth view of your mind and your heart and as you figure out those close to you. Therapist Uncensored brings you decades of experience with interpersonal psychotherapy, relational neuroscience, modern attachment, and anything else they think will be helpful in healing humans. Now, here are your co-hosts, Dr. Ann Kelly and Sue Marriott. All right, let's jump into today's program. Today, we are going to be talking to an extremely interesting group of women. These women met actually somewhat accidentally through their shared participation in the martial arts training programs. And together, they joined forces and formed a nonprofit that is really growing in its reach. So now it only serves uh, Vermont, but their goal is to stretch out nationally. And they really want to not only provide the program, but change culture for both men and women in the area of violence prevention. And it's a nonprofit. It's called the Safety Team, and it's focused on empowerment self-defense, So it's one of the only approaches towards violence prevention that's actually been shown through research to have an impact on reducing violence. Now, how super applicable to Therapist Uncensored is that all of the programs that they serve are grounded in neurobiology, they're trauma-informed, and they not only help reduce the risk of violence, they're also working on the healing of trauma. And their Therapeutic Empowerment Self-Defense Program is brand new. It's innovative. It's highly specialized for survivors of interpersonal violence. So anyways, not only are you going to hear about this program, what's really important is you're going to hear about the elements of really impacting women in a sense of connecting to the body and the spirit that can be empowering for everyone, whether you've experienced a major trauma in your life, you know somebody, or whether you have not, but really want to find more body empowerment. I think you're going to grow a lot from this program. So before we jump in, let me do a big shout out to our Patreon members It's so important that we do that. Without you guys, we would not be able to do this program. You really help cover our costs, and I cannot tell you how much it means to us. We have a new executive co-producer, Platinum member, and Christine, please forgive me your name. I am going to try my hardest, Christine Stockhoft. I hope I got that close, but thank you so much for joining, and hopefully you can also go onto our website and see a connection to her there. We also have two gold members, Colleen Maloney and Olivia Hart. Thank you so very much. And our Neuro Nerds, we couldn't do it without you. Ryan Hallwalks, Cindy Stites, Barbara O'Hara, 
Keely Murphy, Trisha Woodward, Karen LaCasey, Jennifer McDougall, Patty Graydon, and Zofia. Again, a big shout out to you guys. Uh, not only are you helping us give information and uh, services to you guys, but you help us produce things to go talk about security and uh, neurobiology all across the world to some people who may not otherwise get this information. So a big thank you. And if you'd like to join us as a Patreon member, if you could so choose, it would be, you would go to patreon.com backslash therapist uncensored. All right, let's jump in the program, and I'd really, really like to introduce you to the president of the organization, Christine de Blasio. Welcome. Thank you. Thanks for having us. I'll tell you a little bit about the the safety team. As you mentioned, it's about empowerment. It's about resiliency. It's about leadership training. It is about so many different things that all together the mission is dedicated to helping serve women. Violence prevention, risk reduction, as well as empowerment and trauma recovery. In terms of telling you a little bit about myself, I'm a clinical psychologist with about 30 years experience working with trauma survivors of all ages. And it's, that's part of what prompted me to want to do this work in violence prevention. While I'm really honored to work with uh, trauma survivors, it also is empowering to me to help reduce violence in the first place. In addition to being a psychologist, I'm also a fourth degree black belt in Kenpo Jitsu Karate. And it is the blend of the martial arts and the psychology that has prompted me to be a part of the safety team or to help co-found the safety team. One of the things that's so fun about that is when I said I'm sitting here with a bunch of amazing and dynamic women, that is absolutely true. Yet all of you are either a black or brown belt. Am I right? Yes, that's true. I'm kind of glad we're online here. I must be a little bit. (laughs) But that is so fabulous. I'm talking about some deeply strong, passionate women here that not only are speaking about empowerment in the body, but living it, living it in the way that you optimize your own body. So I'm excited to just hear more about that as we go along. We have a, a great team. I, you know, I'm just going to uh, have the team members who are here introduce themselves because these really are remarkable women. I like to say that we're ordinary women doing extraordinary things. And I don't mean me. I mean everybody else who's on the team and the volunteers that we have and the interns. But there's uh, three other women sitting here that, I, that I'm hoping will introduce themselves. Well, thank you, Christine. I'm Nancy Keller, and I'm a middle-level educator, and I've been working with children for a little over 30 years. And what I really have enjoyed about the safety team was the mind-body connection and helping women find their own strength in their bodies, and that translates into confidence in their lives. Hi, I'm Darcy. I'm a forensic toxicologist during the day. So I work with these kind of cases that we spend a lot of time talking about when there's drugs or alcohol involved. I'm also a second degree black belt in Kenpo Jitsu Karate and a first degree black belt in Modern Arties. And uh, yeah, I work with the safety team primarily because we always talk about we want to just change the culture and that's kind of my end game here. (laughs) And I'm Christina Allard. I'm a physical therapist. I work primarily with children in the schools. A lot of the children have trauma in their households or in their own lives. And I am a brown belt in Kenpo as well. So we have a level one, a level two, and a level three. Each one of those workshops is about two and a half hours. Level one, I mean, what you'll notice when you first walk in is you'll be greeted by one of our safety team members. We always sit in a circle because we think that that's a a way to connect with one another. And the first 45 minutes will be a lot of psychoeducation, statistics on sexual assault. We talk about the tonic immobility, the adrenaline response. We talk about 
all kinds of issues related to sexual assault. After about 45 minutes, we stand up. We practice what we call a defensive stance. We teach pre-assault cues. We talk about what to say, where to look. We also talk about how to strike and when to strike. The strikes that we teach are very, very simple. They're pretty easy to learn. You don't have to be physically fit. You just have to be able to move your body in some capacity. And if there's a challenge for you, we generally have a physical therapist there, Christina, who can adapt it so that it works for your body. Or if you have some sort of emotional reason that makes it difficult. If you're activated in some way, we are able to help with grounding or altering what we're teaching to accommodate that. So we teach five very basic strikes in the first workshop that are very easy to execute, but they're very effective. And women generally find one or two that they really like. I have my favorite. And we ask women to practice that. We end level one with a very empowering move that's called the super cool move, which it is uh, how to respond in a situation that would be a potential sexual assault situation where you are pinned on the ground. And that sounds awful, but it is probably one of the moves that women walk out feeling like, oh my goodness, I can't believe my body could respond or react in a way like that that's so powerful. And uh, we would have to demonstrate to you what that looks like in order for you to understand it. <laughs> but the participants named it the super cool move because it is in fact super cool. Level two is you don't have to participate in level two, but we offer it. So you can just take level one. And if that's what you're comfortable with, that's great. If you're ready for level two, it is far more active. We do review what we cover in level one, but then we address strategies to deal with common attacks. So it might be wrist grabs, one arm wrist grabs, two arm wrist grabs. It might be chokes, chokes from the front, chokes from the back, bear hugs from behind, some very basic groundwork. And of course, we review the super cool move because it's super cool. Um, and, and we prepare people for level three, which again is optional. But many women really like level three, which is a more adrenalized response. We have a padded attacker. Again, this is where challenge by choice is absolutely vital because women choose the level of attack that they want to practice. And so the padded attacker will only simulate an attack that is just on that challenge by choice edge for women so that it's useful, but it's not activating or triggering in a way that um, just creates more fear. That's what we don't want to do. And so that challenge by choice part is essential throughout all the workshops, but in particular for level three, because we practice more realistic drills with safety team members and again, then with the padded attacker. In addition to these more general workshops, these group workshops, and one thing I want to point out with all of them, we teach the techniques to the large group, but we always break down to small groups with one instructor for no more than four women, five women at most. So that's a very effective way to practice these techniques, a very safe way to practice these techniques. Another new development we have is our therapeutic empowerment sessions, which are much more specifically tailored to a survivor. So we have an assessment phase, which is about an hour, and then we review grounding techniques so people can stabilize themselves in case they are activated. We do some psychoeducation. A lot of the stuff that we cover in level one, we will cover in the initial sessions of this therapeutic empowerment series. And then we, we work through many of the same strikes and techniques, but at a pacing that really works for the survivor and also address particular safety concerns that they may have had. So this is an opportunity for them to really work through both through their mind and body, that somatic reprocessing of the assault. They can work through that trauma in a very, very safe environment until they feel a sense of mastery. 
And that's what that new program that we're unfolding now entails. It will include both individual work and then small group work so that they still get that element of connection with other survivors, but again, in a much more small contained environment than in our community classes, which I think is well suited to certain women. You know, we, we would like to reach all women and we know that oftentimes you know, when you hear about an empowerment self-defense class, there's some trepidation. What will that mean? Can I do it? And I think that there's also some misperceptions about what these classes might look like. They're actually fun and safe. At least we create that kind of environment. But this is also a way these more individualized small group sessions is a way we can reach women who might not feel comfortable yet or ready to be in a big group environment. So they still get to access these services. They still get to move through that somatic reprocessing They learn skills to keep themselves safe. We know that uh, two-thirds of victims are re-assaulted. There's the prevention piece as well as the somatic reprocessing healing piece that comes out of these classes. So having the option of individual, small group, and larger group, in addition to those leadership opportunities, volunteer opportunities down the road, I think really allows us to reach a lot of women who might benefit from this sort of approach. You mentioned that many of the individuals that come to you have history, and so many women do, have history of trauma. And how do you see them respond to the group settings itself? And how do you see them respond to the services that you offer? Our trainings are always team taught. So we have usually four instructors plus maybe three volunteers at each sort of training. And what this allows for is, yes, we do some whole group instruction, But half of the training is done in small groups. And it's in the small groups that we make connections with other women and they make connections with each other. And it's at those moments that we might, a woman might disclose her trauma history with us. It's at those moments that the women feel comfortable and become more connected. So our teaching ratio has a lot to do with that comfort that women feel in a setting that could be quite scary for them. There's been some really standout moments in classes where women have asked to be taught defenses against certain attacks that, you know, they have a history with, they've experienced in real life. And to watch women work through something like that is really humbling and powerful. And you see women who, you know, maybe at first it's really a scary thing to practice and you see them work through it. And at the end, they feel, you can see they feel so much more confident, like they've conquered something. And I think those moments are really powerful. I would add to that, that one of the things that really helps is it's a very safe environment. We only have women in the classes, both as instructors and as participants. Anyone female identified is welcome. So that in and of itself, research supports, and we have seen ourselves, makes for a much safer environment, both talking about these issues, but also practicing learning new techniques. So that's really important. We try to have fun. What we have discovered is that, I don't know if I can say that everyone, but it looks like everyone likes to hit things even though they don't know it. Um, (laughs) and And they have a really good time with these techniques, it's lighthearted. We uh, have a great chemistry amongst the team. So we joke with one another. We put people at ease. We create an environment that I think feels pretty safe for women. And it sounds like one of the things that you all are doing is helping people get more comfortable inside their own body and being able to get connected to their body. Exactly. I think Darcy, in a conversation we had, oh, maybe it was a few months ago, 
but we were talking about not only the physical comfort in the body, but helping women find their voice. We practice raising our voices and sounding firm. And Darcy commented to me that she actually could see the women take up more space as mm-hmm. they became empowered in their body and their voice. And it's a feeling that we have, and it is confirmed by the research we've done with our participants. They've talked about this transformation as well as completed our surveys and have reported to us in a statistically significant way that this intervention has made a difference for them. I think a big questioning right away is when we introduce the concept of affirmative consent. Yeah, let's talk about that. That's the first time that they've heard of that concept. And that's a game changer. And I'm going to let Darcy talk a little bit more about that, if you don't mind, or Christina. Yeah, go ahead. Affirmative consent. Yeah, it's one of those things that especially is generational. Not everyone is super familiar with the idea. A lot of us were raised with the no means no concept. And affirmative consent is just a really subtle change in terminology, but a huge change effectively. So it's only yes means yes. The difference is that with no means no, it means that I have a right to you until you tell me no. With affirmative consent, I have no right to you at all until I get that yes. And in terms of getting that yes, it has to be enthusiastic, it has to be continuous, and it has to be freely given. So we talk a lot about affirmative consent, not just in sexual situations, but also establishing boundaries in your regular life. And I think that helps with the empowerment aspect as well, that you have a right to set your own boundaries and expect them to be respected. I love that because that's switching you from a place of reaction to a place of action. It's sitting you in a place of really knowing and imagining what it is that you do want. Exactly. And one of our focal points is on acting first. Uh, Mm -hmm. We talk a lot about preemptively, you know, making plans or maybe striking first, but not not waiting to react. And that's also grounded in helping women develop the awareness and trusting their intuition. We talk about the neuroscience behind intuition and validate that as a way of knowing and also to trust it. And I think that also helps with this empowerment piece. To add to this, I I would say that we, with the no means no and only yes means yes, you know, the no means no. If you haven't said no, then in the legal system, that has been sort of used against women. Mm -hmm. And uh, we talk about the adrenaline response and that freeze response, that tonic immobility, which may paralyze you or make it very difficult, immobilize you from reacting, which doesn't mean you consented. And so it's really helpful for women to hear the neuroscience behind that tonic immobility because it helps them understand and reduces the victim blaming or the self-blame that they may put on themselves. Like, I didn't fight back. Well, yeah, you didn't fight back because we haven't been trained to fight back and practice to fight back. And in part, we're trying to help you learn some motor skills so that under adrenaline stress, you know what to do. But in general, I mean, my experience has been with many, many survivors that I have worked with, that the freeze response, that natural adrenaline response is a very, very common response, which does not mean you consented and it does not mean it was your fault. It means your, your body and your mind were doing what they are trained to do or they are geared to, to do in an effort to keep you safe. It just didn't keep you safe. So we talk a lot about tonic immobility. We talk about neuroception. We talk about intuition. We try to explain some of these concepts so that women better understand, oh, that's what happened. 
and it's not my fault. And no matter what, no matter what, it's the fault of the predator, always. And we talk about that a lot. And I think it's important talking about the science that freezing is not a personal failing. It right. doesn't mean that you're weak. It's just a reaction. It's a survival skill that just doesn't help you in that situation or a survival response. So for longtime listeners, uh, you were, they're talking about tonic immobility. We often reference that in terms of the polyvagal theory and our system shutting down and going into a freeze response. And I love what y'all are doing. That's what got me so excited the more I learned about your program because you're bringing women in, many of which that have been traumatized, but teaching so much about the body in an empowered way. And to be able to say the affirmative means yes, means you have to move into action. And that way that leaves the question of the freeze response engaging so much shame in in people because when they realize they never did say no. So it sounds like you're empowering women who have been abused to really see their history as well as helping women recognize the risk of what can happen to them out there and how to avoid falling into that place of freeze by finding a voice early, finding your desire early, being able to recognize you have boundaries and that you can set them. So I really applaud what you guys are doing out there. We also make the point that really what needs to change is there need to be fewer predators. You know, we're, <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, that's really what needs to happen. So we do acknowledge that, that this is something that, you know, we have to re- focus on our reducing our risk and, and learn these techniques, but we shouldn't have to. But the analogy I would use is I wear my seatbelt even though I'm a really good driver because there may be other drivers out there who are not as good a driver. I'm not that good a driver. But, (laughs) but, But the point is that right now we have to do what we can to reduce risk. But what we really want to happen is that cultural shift so that there's less risk in the first place. We're really dovetailing into a lot of the research around trauma. And when one finds themselves into a place of threat and freeze, one of the things that's so important in the research is to find their ability to activate, activate in any way. And it makes me think about how y'all are helping women find a voice, even just through the literal sometimes screaming or yelling, how that activates the nervous system into action in and of itself. So I love what y'all are saying about teaching women the freeze response. It's so empowering. And what are the aspects of your program that are so important to help women understand how to, if they're in that response, how to get out or how to prevent themselves from getting into that response? Yeah, I think the very first part is just explaining what it is, what is happening, that it's a natural adrenaline response. Because once you recognize that that's what it is, it kind of works into what we call our four A's is we have awareness, avoidance, acceptance, and action. And so that acceptance phase can be very difficult to pass through. And part of how we work with that is we teach women some verbal skills. We teach them a defensive stance and using their voice and creating these boundaries so that they can develop the muscle memory. I mean, we explain that we're we're doing all this practice and preventative work ahead of time so that we can build that muscle memory so that when the cognitive part of our brain goes offline and we freeze, that we can rely on our skills to kind of take over for a second and and it can buy us that time to kind of regain our processing and figure out a plan after we've kind of fallen in immediately into our, you know, defensive stance and using our voice. And then we can assess the situation maybe at that point. 
you're building new muscle memory and you're building new automatic processes so that it can come in when our brain goes off. I love what you're saying so that these empowerment classes can teach our body to move into action in more of an automated stance rather than to freeze. Exactly. There's two things we also emphasize. One is your intuition, that your intuition always has your best interests at heart and is in response to something and is there to, to keep you safe. And one of the, the ways that your intuition goes off is in recognizing what we call pre-assault cues. And these are cues that a potential predator might be telegraphing to you. It's their adrenaline response. So it's an early warning to you, or maybe not that early, but a warning to you that you then need to go into that muscle memory. So you know when to recognize when a situation has crossed from uncomfortable to dangerous and that you need to do something in response. So one of the things that's often downplayed for women is their intuition. And yet it's so important. It's so vital. And we really try to support how important this is to listen to it. Oh, I think we've been taught so much to actually ignore it or feel ourselves silly or over-responding. And we talk a lot on the podcast how most of our information comes through our body and not our head. And then we see ourselves silly or overreacting. And so part of what you find empowering to teach is those cues. I love that. The cues that actually when you feel this, you're on target. And when your spider sense is going up, you're saying, you know, which we do to really listen. Right. Exactly. That's exactly. And I think even before that, acknowledging how we present ourselves in the world, like our posture, how we present in coming into the room, the way we hold ourselves, the way we speak, um, the way we walk, all of those things, even before we're in a dangerous situation, helps us kind of be prepared, have a plan for what to do when we get into a dangerous situation. And I would say that you're less likely to become a victim or be a target if you're practicing those skills ahead of time. Those powerful postures, those using your voice, those setting your boundaries, those kinds of skills that we're talking about. So Christina, as a physical therapist, tell us a little bit about the posture, because what you're saying is what you communicate to the world with your body position, as well as I imagine what you communicate to yourself. Is that true? Can you say a little bit more about that? The difference between a collapsed posture, the the rounded shoulders, the head down, the I'm nervous look compared to shoulders back, head up, eyes forward. I'm confident some people, you know, talk about a superhero walk or just walking into the room like you have a purpose and power behind you. So we talk about that. We kind of demonstrate it a little. I suggest that they practice it in front of their mirror, you know, when they're brushing their teeth in the morning. We talk about it like not only in a room, like how you're projecting to other people, but also how you're projecting to yourself when you're feeling nervous, that just changing your posture can help change the way you think about what you're doing. Oh, yeah. I was just going to say for the listeners to even as you're listening, uh, you can watch Christina. She's speaking. My back kind of got straighter. But <laughs> And I will say that every time I bring this up, the entire room will sit up straighter and shift in their seat. And it's amazing. Just the word posture makes everybody remember. <laughs> in those moments where you are most unconfident and you are most fearful and uncomfortable, that that's the time you really want to use the posture and make that connection. And 
you know, we kind of talk about the fake it till you make it or fake it till you feel it type of situation where if I'm really uncomfortable, that's the moment that I really want to portray like, I own this place, I have a right to be here, I have a right to take up space. And then, you know, eventually, (laughs) I will feel it, not just project it. Darcy, would you speak a little bit more also about, you were talking about body memory. What are some things that you guys teach related to learning to use your voice and your body in, in a short workshop? I'm, I'm assuming you're not teaching everybody to be a black belt, but that would be an amazing thing. But what are, the, what are the things that our listeners out there could be thinking about that they would learn in a workshop like this with the use of their voice or their body? Sure. When we're talking about using our voice, we really focus on specific things that I can say in the moment that I can say loudly, clearly, and doesn't take any sort of thought process for me. I don't have to engage with a person. You know, my favorite is back off. And I'll use that in my bad dog voice and, you know, use that to not only express to the person that I am not happy with the situation, but it also expresses it to anyone around you that this situation is a bad situation that I don't want to be in. But it also, because I don't have to spend cognitive energy thinking about engaging with this person, I can think about other things like, how am I going to use my strikes? And the strikes are something that we teach participants as well. So we teach them, we're not turning them into black belts, but we do teach them five strikes during the course so that hopefully they find one or two that are their absolute favorite. And we practice them repeatedly and we tell them to go home and practice. And what we're hoping is that between, you know, applying our voice while we're hitting, which not only forces them to breathe properly, but it also reinforces that use of the voice because we always say what you practice is what you'll do in real life. And that with all the repetition and the strikes and the voice is that we're creating this muscle memory so that if we're in a real world situation and something happens and that freeze response tries to kick in, that now I have all of these kind of backup plans that hopefully my body will take over and go into this without any cognitive decision making on my part. And the benefit is, of course, we hope that nobody has to use these skills for self-defense. But the benefit of learning these powerful moves is that they experience their body as powerful. And oftentimes we get feedback, I've never felt that way before, or I never knew I could hit something. And we see that routinely. The martial arts, these strong body movements translate into this confidence. And that's the part that they're going to use every day. It's not just actually about self-defense from a predator. It's about the empowerment as you experience yourself as a woman in the world and the empowerment of how you carry yourself and learning that you can physically feel strong and physically feel your voice. It's not a self-defense necessarily. It's an empowerment. It's a resiliency. Exactly. And, you know, we often talk about how that's the biggest part. You know, we want women to leave our classes feeling that they have power and they have a right to take up space. And, you know, using their body in this way gives them that confidence so that, as Christina mentioned, you know, they walk through the world taking up space and presenting themselves as someone who has a right to be there. And that in itself can be a risk reduction. Oh, very much so. And it also can be therapeutic. Let's talk about the therapeutic part, because as we know, you know, people that have experienced trauma, 
so often people think of trauma as a story of something that's happened to them in their past. And we've learned more deeply, trauma is actually in the body. It lives in the body. It lives in our gut. It's the feeling that we carry with us that could involve dread or helplessness or disgust that lives inside and can numb us. And it seems like the program that you're speaking of is so therapeutic. Let's talk about that. You know, women feel pretty safe and comfortable in the classes, and they often disclose to us or ask us specific questions about a particular situation that they may have experienced and what could I have done differently. And they're doing it in a safe environment. They're using their bodies. We not only talk about affirmative consent, we also model it. We always ask them before we touch them in any way or practice any of the techniques with them. But I think what they learn is that there are things that they can do that there are things that they can do should that situation happen again. But even more importantly, they're just moving through that situation with an empowered body. So we've had women ask us about, okay, I was choked. Can you tell me what I could do in a situation like that? And we will very gently and at their pace work them through that. And it's been amazing to watch how empowered they feel when they realize there is something I can do. There is something I can do should that situation arise. And I think it's very powerful in terms of their healing process. Do you find any kind of feeling of, do you have to work with the feeling of, oh, I should have done? Like now that I've learned that I could have done this and I didn't do this, does that ever come up for you guys in this process? We talk a lot about that that tonic immobility and the freeze response, and we really normalize that. I tell women in these workshops that, Almost universally, in terms of the women that I work with, that has been the response. That's what happens to us when we have a situation that we're unprepared for, that is overwhelmingly dangerous or feels dangerous to us, that we often shut down. So we spend a lot of time really normalizing that process and directing the blame towards the predator and talking about what we can do now. And that seems to be a powerful asset to these women or it helps these women move through it. And I've definitely had women in my group or in the class who've said, oh, I shouldn't have done this when I was in this situation, or I should have done this when I was in that situation. And what we really try to reaffirm is they shouldn't have done what they did. The predator. The predator predator should not have done what they did. The fault is not on the woman who had the situation happen to them. So we really try to not only talk about how freezing is very a natural response, but also talk again about who is the real responsible party. So we try to get over that shoulda, coulda questions with, you know, it should never have happened to you in the first place. So in addition to the physicality of our therapeutic help is that we offer leadership opportunities for women within our organization. And along the continuum of recovery, women who want to reach out to other women and help them prevent violence from happening to them, and also help other women in their own recovery. So it becomes a really powerful part of our program, our volunteers and our interns, because to experience something very traumatic and be able to turn that around and help other people helps them recover. It's been really powerful and humbling that we've been able to be part of that in somebody's life. I imagine, too, that so much of the outcome of trauma is the numbing and the shutting down and the isolating. And one of the powerful things of your program is to bring people together to be inside their body and then teaching them the leadership and the connection 
to other people and then to replace that feeling of helplessness with a feeling of resourcefulness. We were just talking yesterday about neuroplasticity and the idea of developing the sense of purpose and how much that can help us rewire ourselves in a different way. And y'all are talking about doing deep treatment work on women that have experienced trauma by the leadership skills and the volunteerism and the empowerment. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's, it's sort of a feeling that I get when I'm working with women and teaching even my students' uh, martial arts moves is it's that feeling of teaching body integrity and that can be taught. And I think that's the therapeutic part of it. I'm just thinking of a progression of women that I've worked with and students I've worked with on helping them discover their stance, their grounding, the way they connect with with the earth, (laughs) if you so choose those words. And it could be by pushing and pulling and then pushing and pulling against me. It's It's a typical martial arts routine. But I've noticed as we've practiced that again and again, how they become stronger. And it's not Mm -hmm. because they physically have developed muscle. It's they've developed a response to that, and they've never had that feeling in their body before. And how that feeling that I can not be moved from this space kind of takes on a, a different feeling to them. And I think that's a really important component of what we do. And what I can do when I'm working with women, for example, in a private lesson or one-on-one. And I think in terms of recovery to, you know, women who've, who've had this kind of taken away from them, you know, from previous assaults where they've, you know, they've lost the control of their, over their own body. I think learning body integrity through these classes gives them a sense of power again, not just to the outside world, but also, you know, just internally the kind of reclaiming their body as theirs. Recognizing where their body is in space, where their joints are compared to each other, the pressure on their joints, just recognizing that feeling, learning to recognize that feeling is something that like I do as a physical therapist, but in this setting, it's actually bringing their attention to it so that they can learn from it. Like Nancy said, they're not gaining muscle fibers in our class. All they're doing is learning to activate the muscle fibers that they already have and learning to recognize when they need to be activated. Oh, wow. The component is also the challenge by choice. In an assault situation, there's a loss of control. And in this situation, you have in- entirely 100% of the control of how and how much you might use your body in the class. And I think that's a really important component. So not all women will do the same thing or do it in the same way in the class, but they'll do what brings them a little bit further along. You know, we like to talk about or think about incremental growth in this area. And so that each woman can choose, I would like to do this particular technique, or I would like to use my voice in this way. Because again, not everyone comes in with the same capacity, the same history, and we try to move them along their own growth journey. And I think they, most people leave the class with an endorphin rush. I mean, they're (laughs) always happy when they leave. They're always so excited that I think that builds a positive memory too. I did something strong and it was such a positive experience for me. And it always amazes me when I look through the pictures because what we're talking about is hard stuff. We have a lot of survivors in the class and we all have our own histories with 
sexism or assault or, you know, any number of those issues. But when I look at the pictures, they are overwhelmingly of women smiling and laughing and having a great time <laughs> with this really serious conversation. Well, what about men? What are your thoughts about men and the need for a program like this? And one of the things we've actually are working on, going to work on, is an all gender presentation class mm. that would include, you know, our classes right now are open to cis and trans women, but this class would be including, you know, men, cis men as well. And often when we talk about men, because statistically they're the predator, but male survivors have their own you know, struggles on top of what we're already talking about with female survivors. So it is kind of in our long-term plans to try to help develop that. But we are a small program trying to grow. (laughs) Nancy, you're in the schools. Tell us a little bit about kind of how you see this program. How does the safety team relate to maybe pre-K through 12 curriculum and instruction? Well, thank you for mentioning that. It does circle around to what we talked about earlier around affirmative consent and how teaching the concept of affirmative consent does not necessarily have to be tied with sexuality, but it's about helping young children learn about boundary setting. And it's easily modeled by teachers and students, and it can enter into conversations, which I've used with students that have had a conflict, a physical conflict, or, and it usually starts with one student has his or her hands on another student without consent. And it's an interesting shift in the conversation when I turn to the perpetrator of the physical aggression and ask around issues of consent. Have you checked in with that person ahead of time? And oftentimes, my students will pause, and it's something that they haven't considered. And that's a very small connection, but a really important connection. I also think Vermont happens to lead the country in developing curriculum that prevents uh, child sexual abuse and sexual assault. And that curriculum right now is not universal, not yet in our state and needs to be better coordinated. And I hope to see that we can take these great resources and make them statewide and make the conversation a little more open and then change that and translate that nationally. But those are just some of the very small and very large things that I think that we can do around these kind of trainings. The other piece is that We often talk about the highest rate of sexual assault is for women from ages 18 to 24. And I'm working with children just prior to turning 18. And I teach them all sorts of things to get them ready for college. And if they're entering a time of their life, if you're women, if you're a woman or identify as female, where the sexual assault or the assault is the highest, I would think that it's part of my responsibility to have them prepared. Whether it's helping with the cultural shift, whether it's giving them skills and empowerment to help them get to that point so that when they leave and graduate high school and they go to university or into the work world, that they have another set of skills so they're ready. I love that, especially having a 17-year-old woman about to go to college next year. So you're, you're speaking to my heart right now. 
Yeah, and having my own daughter go off to college. You want all of our children to leave our schools empowered, full of agency, and ready to take on the world. We need that for our future. Well, that actually brings up, I guess, a topic that we haven't deeply touched on, and that is the role of alcohol in consent. And I wonder if y'all could speak to that for a moment. Yeah, alcohol is actually the number one date rape drug in women over 18. It's used in 50% of assault cases, either by the predator or the victim side. And especially in a society where we're still kind of using the no means no standard, alcohol muddies the water quite a bit because, you know, someone who is impaired or intoxicated who, you know, they can't formulate a plan to leave, they can't understand what's happening, you know, they may not be able to say no, they may not be able to say I want to go home. So those, those issues get interpreted in the courts, in society, the women take the blame onto themselves, other people blame them for drinking and being with this person. So alcohol really muddies the water, especially in in the kind of consent situation we're in now. So we do talk a lot about safe use of alcohol, gauging where you're safest and where you're maybe not so safe. But also that's why, you know, affirmative consent is so important is, you know, if you don't have that yes and you don't have that yes from a person who has full possession of their faculties, you know, it's not consent. And we also talk to you know, our participants to not only keep track of how they're feeling if they're using alcohol, but to look out for each other because someone who is drinking cannot consent. You know, we need that, that shift <laughs> culturally to help. That makes a lot of sense because affirmative consent has to involve the capacity to give consent in the first place. And if you're impaired, I don't care how affirmative you are, if you're impaired, you just can't give consent. It's an interesting line, sort of, where is the line? How much alcohol? I know that's a, that's an interesting conversation maybe for another time, but I'm sure in your area, that's probably something you have to address a lot. I do. So when I, I deal with it with casework, I often have to talk about the ability to consent and how does this affect cognition and how does this affect awareness? And, you know, can this person consent? Can this person fight back? You know, so when we talk about consent and alcohol, that brings us back to, you know, we can understand that you can't enter a contract if, if you're drunk. You know, if you're in a courtroom setting, the judge will always ask, are you under the influence of alcohol or drugs that would affect your ability to accept this plea agreement? You can't go into a tattoo parlor and get a tattoo while you're drinking alcohol because you can't consent to that. And so we understand this in all other aspects of our life. But yet again, in sexual violence, suddenly we don't understand. We always show our participants the tea and consent video. So your listeners should, should Google that if they have. Oh, my God. That's one of our favorite videos. Of our <laughs> it's our favorite, too. I'll make sure that we put it on the show notes. Excellent. But it really illustrates, you know, we understand consent in other situations. We yes. understand that alcohol removes our consent in other situations. It applies in sexual situations as well. If I can't consent to a tattoo, if I can't consent to a contract, I cannot consent to sex. We really have, again, this really roundabout team talking to Christina about physical therapy, your expertise, Darcy, Nancy, the educational piece, and Christine, the psychologist. And like, wow, this is a lot of services these women are getting when they come in, not to mention, again, the black and brown belts all in the room. So you have a really powerful team. 
We do. You know, we said we couldn't have designed this better if we had tried. And beyond the members we have here today, you know, we have a police officer who's a member who talks a lot about use of force. A lot of times women are concerned about standing up for themselves. Will I get in trouble? Can I really hit someone? (laughs) And it helps to have a police officer there to talk about those issues. In addition to that, we have someone who works on the college campuses. We have uh, a woman who works in community outreach and also does guardian ad litem work right now. So all of that expertise, we're covering a wide area that's kind of all affected by this. And so you know, I couldn't design it any better. I mean, every aspect that we have in our personal lives, we really do take to the team and we use it in our classes and to help our students. Not to mention having a lot of fun and sense of humor in the room. So education, expertise, you can kick anyone's butt in the room. Like I'm telling you, you've got a powerful team. So thank you guys so much. And I imagine listeners out there are going to be intrigued with your program and with you guys. How could they get a hold of you? Website is thesafetyteam.org, so you can find us there. We're on Facebook. I think it's under the Safety Team Self-Defense. You can email us. At, you can email me, Christine, at thesafetyteam.org or info at thesafetyteam.org. Those are the best ways to reach us. We welcome inquiries. We welcome anyone who wants to volunteer or offer any, ask more questions about the program, perhaps develop a program in their area. I can imagine, Christine, I don't mean to jump in, but I can imagine that some people listening out there would love to have a program like this in the area. And how could you guys support them or how could they progress on that with the, contacting you guys as consultants? Or Yeah, I think that would be a good way to go. We, we are developing a, or we have a manual that has the information. We are training volunteers in that manual. We have a program called Wise Women Inspiring Strength and Empowerment, which is a train-the-trainer model. And so we could unfold that with new folks. We'd like to expand in the future. Right now, we are all volunteers. We all have full-time jobs, as you've described what our, what our full-time jobs are as a psychologist and so forth. And we do this on the side because it's a passion. It really is a mission of the heart for all of us. But we would like to expand further because the need is just tremendous. The Me Too, the sociocultural climate that we're in right now has really awakened a lot of people to these issues. They've always been there, but I think there's a greater awareness of these issues and quite a demand for our program that we do our best to meet, but we're limited in resources in terms of time. So, Oh, I bet. Full-time jobs and trying to do that. And, and it's such a program I would love to see expanded. So I'm really excited to have you guys on board today. So thank you so much for coming on the program. And please reach out to them. We will have all of the participants on this uh, safety team in our show notes, including the ones that were not able to join us today and lots more descriptions of that. So please look at our show notes and be sure to reach out to these wonderful women. All right. Thank you guys for joining us. Thank Thank you. you. Thanks for joining us and we'll see you around the bend. Therapist Uncensored is Ann Kelly and Sue Marriott. This podcast is edited by Jack Anderson. 